is that really in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible? Well, hello, I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? I want to ask you a question. Why was your Savior killed? Why was Jesus Christ killed? Now, you do know that Jesus was killed by religious people. He was killed by the religious... He was killed by deeply religious people. In fact, he was killed by the religious establishment of his day. Now, the sinner, on the other hand, loved Jesus. They couldn't get enough of Jesus. But the religious people hated him. Now, I want to tell you why Jesus was killed. It's four words. He preached the gospel. That's why your Savior was killed. Now, you may be thinking, well, look, I preach the gospel every Sunday morning. No, 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 no. What, what you're preaching is probably not even, would not even be considered the gospel. It doesn't even come close to resembling the gospel. Now, let me illustrate here what I'm talking about. In Luke 2 and verse 52, it says this. It says, And Jesus increased in stature and in favor with God and man until, until he began to preach the gospel. Once he began to preach the gospel, he lasted three and a half years, and then he was crucified. <clears throat> now, the reason I'm telling you you're probably not preaching the gospel is because what you are concerned about is favor with man. That's the reason I'm saying you're probably not preaching the gospel. It's because your, your greatest concern is favor with man. You see, when Jesus began his, his ministry, his gospel, the favor with man days were over with. And that's the reason he only lasted three and a half years. Now, how do I know that most preachers are about favor with man? Well, the most obvious reason is what I would call occupational ministry. Your livelihood depends on Your livelihood depends on your favor with man and whether they like you and whether you can please your congregation. That's what your livelihood, that's what your salary depends on. Occupational ministry has rendered the gospel totally neutered. I mean, it really, it's, it's become irrelevant. It's a waste of time and energy. I was driving down the road and I was turned on the radio and I was listening to some preaching. And the preacher, I don't know how this even came up, but he said, do you want to hear me talk like Donald Duck? And I don't know what that had to do with, with his message, but believe me, but he starts talking like Donald Duck. A preacher starts talking like Donald Duck. And it was, I could tell, it was a huge congregation. You could tell by the audience, and, and they thoroughly enjoyed it. And I just cut my radio off, and I said, you know, religion has ceased to be relevant. It's not relevant anymore. You know, there has, something has happened, what I would call the feminization of the ministry. Now, you know, you do know that testosterone levels in men is dropping with every generation, and there's a lot of causes for that. Uh, not enough sunshine, not, a, not enough vitamin D3, too much alcohol, too much beer. You know, there's all kinds of things that lowers a man's testosterone. But it, it's, it's almost like what I see is the feminization 
of the ministry. It's just weak, whimsical, passive, fat, flabby men, men pleasers, talking about Jesus. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's occupational ministry. Look, I get paid to do this, and I'm, I'm going to do this in order to keep continuing a salary and having money come in. How do I know that most preachers are men pleasers, favor with man? Well, because you're loved. You're loved. John 8 and verse 40 says, but now you seek to kill me. Now, we're going to get to the reason they wanted to kill Jesus. Right here it is. A man that has told you the truth which I have heard of God, this did not Abraham. Notice, a man, the reason you're wanting to kill me is because I have told you the truth. The reason you're loved is because you're always telling people what they want to hear. You're not telling people the truth. You're telling people what they want to hear in order that you can continue to keep the money coming in, the salary. Because you know as well as I do, if you start speaking truth, if you start telling people what they don't want to hear, where are you going to end up at? You're going to end up working at McDonald's or something like that. I mean, you know, you're not going to be able to continue your occupation. So occupational ministry has rendered the gospel totally neuter. Now, let me ask you a question. Was Billy Graham hated? Is the Pope hated? Is your minister hated? Well, no, he's adored and loved, okay? Let's just cut to the chase. Chances are your minister is loved by all in the congregation. Now, Jesus, I want to look at Jesus' gospel compared to today's gospel. Now, you do understand that Jesus did not come with a message that said, uh, I'm the Savior of the world, just invite me into your heart. Uh, just believe in me. Just raise your hand and that's all. And just accept me into your heart. No, no. Jesus didn't come from a message like that. But he did say, if you love me, keep my commandments. Yeah, he did say that. And Jesus, what I'm saying is Jesus preached repentance from sin. Today's churches do not. Notice it. Matthew 4 and verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, consider this. Okay, repent. Repent of what? Well, repent of sin. Do you know what sin is? How long have you been in church? 40 years. Can you tell me right now the biblical definition of sin? Can you quote me the biblical definition of sin? If you can't quote me that, you're not really saved. I mean, you've never entered into the process of conversion if you can't tell me the definition of sin. Sin is, 1 John 3, 4, the transgression of God's law. Now, consider this. If you believe in a theology, and, and a lot of you do, that says, well, the law's been abolished. Uh, the law's been nailed to the cross. The law's been fulfilled. The law's been done away with. Well, if you believe that, then there is no sin. Okay? Now, 1 John 3, 4 says sin is the breaking of God's law. But if you believe the law has been abolished, there is no sin. So if you abolish the law, there's nothing wrong with your neighbor having sex with your wife because there's no law that says that's wrong. There's nothing wrong with your friend lying to you because if the law has been abolished, there is no law that says lying is wrong. If, if, if the law has been abolished, then it's nothing wrong with your coworker stealing from you because there is no law that says stealing is wrong, you see. If there is no law, there is no sin because the law defines what sin is. 
Now, do you see why this is such an asinine teaching that is out there today in mainstream churchianity? Yeah, you hear it all the time. You hear it all the time. Grace plus nothing. You know, the law has been abolished. Just believe, just invite Jesus into your heart. It's all been done away with, been fulfilled. Yeah, you hear it all the time. Now, there was a time when preachers were not afraid to preach the law of God. For some strange reason, today, the law has become like a scapegoat. Instead of blaming the sins that people commit, preachers blame the law that defines what is sin. They say, oh, it's that old nasty law that's the problem. No, that's never been the problem. The problem is the filthy, rotten sinner that is breaking God's law. That's the problem. Okay. But let's take a look at what some, now we would have to go way back in time to find this. But let's notice what some theologians and preachers used to say about, used to say, yeah, let me emphasize, let me put that, you know, used to say about the law of God. Okay, Martin Luther said this, and I quote, the first duty of the gospel preacher is to declare God's law and to show the nature of sin. John Wesley said, before I preach love, mercy, and grace, I must preach sin, law, and judgment. He also said, preach 90% law and 10% grace. Now, we've got that totally backwards today. You know, we're preaching 99.9% grace, 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 grace. God loves you. God loves everybody. Doesn't care what you do. Doesn't matter what you do. Just grace, grace, grace. That's all you hear today. You don't hear. I mean, do you hear 1% law? Okay. John Wesley said, preach 90% law and 10% grace. Charles Spurgeon said, they will never accept grace until they tremble before a just and holy law. Charles Finney said, evermore the law must prepare the way for the gospel. Now notice this. I love what this man says. The law must prepare the way for the gospel. To overlook this in instructing souls is almost certain to result in false hope, the introduction of false standard of Christian experience, and to fill the church with false converts. And that's exactly where we are today. Churches are full of false converts, just playing church. Dwight L. Moody said this, God being a perfect God had to give a perfect law. And the law was given not to save man, but to measure them. Yes, the role of the law is to define what sin is. The law was never given to save a man but to measure the man, absolutely. Now, my point is this, Jesus was killed because he preached the gospel. Jesus preached sin is the problem, and you people are sinners, that's what he preached. You know, I was, I was looking at a forum just recently, and someone had asked the question, what is the proper way to preach the gospel? And I wanna give you some of the answers that came back. Some of the answers said, with love and concern for fellow man, in all truth and honesty. Another person said, by your actions. Another person said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Not in telling, but in doing. Another person came back and said, by your life, live it. Another person said, in love. All right. The question was, what is the proper way to preach the gospel? Another person, person quoted this poem that I've heard before. It goes like this. It says, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one 
any day. I'd rather one would walk with me than merely tell me the way. The eyes are better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but example is always clear. And I'm not going to read all of that, but, uh, you know, now I want to say something. What I've just gone up, none of this is preaching the gospel. None of it is. There's a religious one-liner that, that, that I used to hear a long time ago. It said this, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. Now, I want to tell you something. In today's rotten, filthy, stinking society, you cannot preach the gospel without words. You know, so many people are just hoping that someone will figure out that they're a Christian. Well, I hope that person notices that I got on my suit and tie and I'm going to church today and they, 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 it registers in their mind, oh, he must be a Christian. Yeah, that, that's our example. That's preaching the gospel or so we think it is. Notice Luke 7 and verse 28. We'll look at a real man here who preached the gospel. He says, For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now what was so great about John the Baptist? Well, let me tell you what was so great about him. It was his style of preaching because he preached the gospel. Notice what he said here. Matthew 3 and verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, now these were the religious types. These, these were probably some of the ones that had a hand in killing Jesus. But when he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said to them, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Notice, he called them a generation of vipers, a generation of snakes, you know, vipers. You know, what if John the Baptist came and preached to today's churches. What do you think would happen if John came and preached to today's churches? And let me tell you what would happen. They would say, well, you're a legalist, legalist John. Get out of here. You're pushing the people away from Jesus. John, you need to show more love. John, you just need to tell people how much God loves them. John, you're not very Christ-like. John, you, you, you need to stop judging all these people. John, you need to build a relationship with them first. John, you're a stumbling block to these people. That's what people would say today. And yet John comes along and says, you people are a bunch of snakes in the grass. So what is the proper way to preach the gospel? Well, let me say this. Not everyone is called to preach the gospel, but there are 450,000 churches in America and there are 650,000 preachers in America. And those 650,000 preachers, like the one I told you about that was talking like Donald Duck on the radio, they've been called to preach the gospel. You can put that in your pipe and smoke it. Yes, those 650,000 uh, preachers have been called to preach the gospel. So what is the right way to preach the gospel? Let's, well, let's take a look at it. Acts 2 and verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what? shall we do? You see, the end result of preaching the gospel, the response we must get from people is, what shall I do? If the end result is not achieved, it's not preaching the gospel. So yeah, you can be involved in all kinds of, I mean, you can be a preacher, you can minister to 10 different churches, and yet, you know, it can just be a feel-good pep rally. But at the end of your service, people don't ask themselves, what must I do? It's not preaching the gospel. So, you know, you can have soup kitchens to feed the poor. 
Oh yeah, you, you can have community serve, your church can have community serve, you can serve your community with food and this and that and children's, you know, you can have trick or trunk at, at your church to keep the kids off the street, but at the, end, but at the end of the day, if people you are serving do not ask, what must I do? It's not preaching the gospel. It's not preaching the gospel. So if I'm feeding the poor, all right, if I'm letting my light shine, if I'm living the Christian example, but not getting the end results from people, and that is what must I do, it's not really preaching the gospel. The end result of preaching the gospel, the response we must get is, what shall I do? Now consider today's gospel. At least what I'm hearing is, well, there's nothing you must do. Grace plus nothing. The law's been abolished. Therefore, what else, what else is there to do? You know, just believe. Just invite Jesus into your heart. Just raise your hand. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. With today's gospel, there's nothing to do. And you wonder why. The churches are full of unconverted people who have never changed anything about the way that they think, about the way that they act, about what they do and what they don't do. You know, there's not a lot of difference between a person going to church and a person who's out in the world not going to church. There's not a lot of difference between the two. You know, I mean, I think about the, the divorce rate. It's 50% of, peop of people end up getting a divorce in the church, and there's 50% of people that end up getting a divorce who never go to church. There's no difference, is what I'm saying. What must I do? Now, I want to look at some examples of this in Jesus' ministry, where he brought people to this point, and he talks about this in his ministry, of bringing people to a point of, okay, what do I have to do now? All right, what do I have to do once I've received your grace and forgiveness? What must I do? John 8 and verse 11, you know the story. And she said to me, she said to him, no man, does any, Jesus had asked this woman, does any man condemn you? And she said, no man, Lord. Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. There's the what must I do. You know, if Jesus had stopped at, neither do I condemn thee, it would not have been preaching the gospel. But he didn't stop with, neither do I condemn thee. He said, go and sin no more. What must I do? Luke 15 and verse 7. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents more than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. Have you ever asked yourself the question, what is the difference between the 99 and the one? The 99, I'll tell you the difference, the 99 failed to ask the most important question you could ever ask, and that is, what must I do? What must I do? Mark 3 and verse 32, and the multitude said about him, and they said unto him, Behold, your mother and your brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Well, who is my mother or brethren? And he looked round about them, which said about him, and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, 
For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. What shall I do? And Jesus comes along and gives us the answer. He says, now whosoever is going to do my will, that, that's what you've got to do. You've got to figure out what God's will is. Not only do you have to figure out what God's will is, you've got to do it. It's not enough just to figure it out. It's not enough just to learn and sit in church and learn about the ideals that you find in the Bible and what God says is right and what is wrong. You've got to do it, you see. It's not enough just to hear the preacher say, don't commit adultery. You've got to do it. Or don't steal. You've got to put these things into actions. That is the law of God. And then there came that final moment when Jesus knew. The question was a simple one. God, what must I do? What must I do? And he went away, and this story, I'm not going to read the whole story, but he comes, he goes to pray, and he, has, he goes three times and asks the same question. And the Bible says he went away the third time and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. In other words, I must give up my will in order to do God's will. And this is what Christ had to come to. I must give up my will in order to do God's will. And you see, when we ask the question, okay, what must I do? This is precisely what we have to come to. I must give up my will in order to do God's will. And I want to tell you something. That's a hard sale. That is not a... The true gospel is the most difficult sale in the world. The false gospel is a very easy sale. Just believe, just accept, just invite Jesus into your heart. There's nothing you must do. Grace plus nothing. Law's been abolished. It's been, fought. It's been fulfilled. It's been done away with. It's been nailed to the cross. The false gospel is a very easy gospel. I mean, anybody can sell that. I mean, how, how hard, hard is it to walk on, you know, walk up to a person and say, do you want this? There's nothing you got to do for it. Here it is, yours. Take it. Now, how easy is that? But the true gospel, and that is, I must give up my will in order to do God's will, that's not easy. That's not an easy, it's one of the reasons our church is not that big. It's only, it's one of the reasons why the churches of God, is, there's, you know, it's not huge congregation of 10,000 people. It's not that at all. It's because the gospel is a hard message to sell. Anytime you come to a person, you say, look, you got to give up your will in order to do God's will. You know, people would rather hear something else. People would rather hear another gospel, a counterfeit gospel, a gospel that's much easier. Yeah, yeah. So the true gospel is a hard gospel to sell. But the point I'm wanting to make here is, is just this. The end results of preaching the gospel, the response we must get is, what must I do? And you know, there's a way to present yourself. There's a way to get that response. There is a way to make people think for themselves. You know, so often we just become a caretaker for another person. 
person's got a problem and then we do for them what they should be doing for, for themselves. You know, that's not preaching the gospel. That's not even a Christian attribute there to do for somebody else what they should be doing for themselves. But if I can bring a person to come to a point where they say, you know, you know, a person comes to me and says, I got these problems. And I say, oh, okay, I see you got these problems. But let me help you to understand what you must do to correct the problem. You've got to do something. And no one is going to do that for you. No one, is, well, I say no one. Yeah, there's all kinds of caretakers out there who busy themselves to death doing for others instead of allowing them to do for themselves. Yeah, I know the caretaker role. That's a difficult role that people get into. But the gospel is what must, it's bringing people to that magical point of asking those, you know, three words to themselves. What must I do? And again, if the end results is not achieved, I don't care what you're doing. I don't care how many soup kitchens you have. I don't care how many community service you have. I don't care how involved your church is in doing good works. You do know the good works is not gonna save your rear end. Nope. No matter how much you got going on, if you don't bring people to that magical question of what must I do, it's not preaching the gospel. I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? Well, I think people have to be challenged uh, before they can be brought to a point of connectivity with God. Confrontation is something most people do not like, and to be confronted with God's will is something that most people shy away from. When you consider some of the examples we see in the Bible, uh, Abraham, go sacrifice your son, your only son, Moses, free my people, the Israelites, and Moses' response, of course, was not me, send somebody else. And, and then you have the example of Jesus. I want you to give your life as a sacrifice for mankind. And Jesus' response was, Father, if there's any other way to work this out. All of these examples have one thing in common. They had to be confronted with God's will. Confrontation. If you ever enter into a personal relationship with God, it will be through confrontation. I mean, you're going to have to be faced with something from the Word of God that you don't want to do. So what must I do if I want a relationship with God? Find the answers by ordering your free Bible study entitled, What Must I Do? Order by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Also, you can visit us online at is that really in the Bible.net? That's is that really in the Bible.net.